You wouldn't happen to have any uh, six-foot cookie sheets, would you? No, sir. We're fresh out of that popular size. Well, uh, how about some uh, elephant-sized cooking bags? You know, the Dumbo-sized. <sighs> this is hard work. Now I know why I gave up sex. all you movie junkies and cinephiles it's time for the sls cast with your hosts matt and tim and welcome one and all to episode 351 of the sls cast yes ladies and gentlemen this is the ford small block engine episode of the sls cast because it turns out that there were a series of V8 engines for automobiles developed by Ford, uh, the Ford small block engine. And what happened was they actually got to get a maximum displacement of cubic inches, the 5.8 liter within the engine. And that maximum displacement for the cubic inches was 300. 51 cubic inches. And with that wonderful little bit of Ford small block engine knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. And boy, am I in a good mood because when I stepped outside yesterday, uh, Sunday morning, it truly felt like fall has arrived. There was a nip in the air. There was a cool breeze, absolutely beautiful blue skies. There's just something about being able to to wear a jacket in the middle of the day and still be very, very comfortable. Ah, it's nice. It was a great way to also cap off the uh, the Astros regular season by uh, a glorious win against the Aus- the Aus- against the Aussie Angels, the Los Angeles Angels, <laughs> which is pretty nice. How how's the weather over there in Tejas? Has it cooled down a bit, or is it still bipolar? I feel like it's safe to say it now that we are creeping into October. But honestly, we didn't really have a bad summer. Like, it did not get unbearably hot in August this year at all, which was really shocking. And, I mean, it got warm, sure. But even into September, it was never overtly hot or terribly humid. So, I'm just counting our blessings that it's been, on the whole, pretty mild. And accepting that, uh, you know, I'll deal with 72 in the evening and 88 to 90 as the high during the day and, and kind of just let things ease into fall around here. So I would say that I am glad you enjoyed your nip in the air, but, um, we, we haven't had much cause to pray for the nip yet. So I, I, I count that as a win. Here in the old Houston Metroplex. Well, it sounds like, Matthew, you need to go get yourself a uh, a pumpkin-flavored something. Maybe not a no. pumpkin-flavored fl- spiced coffee or anything like that. How about some pumpkin ice cream or pumpkin bread, even? 
No, not not a fan of the pumpkin stuff. I I like a good pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving, and that's about it. Are you more of an apple pie type of guy? Yes. Actually, I, I'm pretty much almost an any kind of pie guy, but I think we talked about this. My favorite is key lime. Which you never hear. I don't know why you wouldn't. It's, I mean, it's amazing. Oh, it's homemade key lime tangy. pie is delicious, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's perfectly tangy. It's got just a touch of the bitter, so it's not overly sweet. And then, of course, with a small little dollop of whipped cream, like real whipped cream on it, and, and I don't mean slather it, just a little tiny touch that really just cuts that bitterness and leaves it right even, just like the back end of the of the key lime itself. Oh, with a graham cracker crust, mmm, perfection in a dessert. Well, I want key lime pie now. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll have an existential crisis and go to uh, Neptune and talk to my dad about it. Oh, I don't know. God. I am looking forward to talking about that movie because I, I'm thinking, were you under the impression that I liked it on Twitter? I No, 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 no. I... I was because i don't think you enjoyed it as much either oh did you not see my tweet about it i tweeted about it last night i i did i think i think i saw it this morning for those of you who did not see the tweet or hadn't seen it yet because by now it's been a few days um yeah i i I say okay so you know how in horror movies inevitably you'll hear someone cry out along the lines of you know please god make it stop well about halfway through Ad Astra, I found myself screaming, please, God, make it start. It was so slow. So, so slow. So slow. And I don't mean, like, slow burn. And I don't mean, like, take time to smell the roses, because I get that. And while it's not always my cup of tea, I can appreciate it. This was just slow. Yeah, it's important to care about things as an audience member. I cared about the credits getting closer. Didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of horror movies, I am going to go see the 4K remastered re-release of The Shining tomorrow night with the old old more significant wife lady. I'm going to make her go. She's been awesome. my like experimental lab rat since we both have that AMC Stubbs thing. Oh, she got in it. She got in on the A-list action. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, she's been she's been on that train with me since uh, we started it, or since I started it. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Well, in addition, The Evil Dead. I'm also going to be seeing that this weekend because they're uh, they did a 4K remaster of that a year or so ago, but the original composer and I forget his name went back. And redid all the music. So the actual oh, audio wow. track is going to sound really good. Because back in the day, I mean, for the, I'm talking about the original Evil Dead, not Evil Dead 2, but the original straight up horror film without all the, the goofy slapstick comedy. They just recorded it basically in like a monoreal, you know, pseudo stereo, which they tweaked later on so everything sounds very compressed and the music is low in certain parts just so that the audience were was able to hear dialogue or the sound effects or whatnot so this new remaster of the music is going to be 
really cool. And that's as well as The Shining, which I'm pretty sure tomorrow, which is October 1st, is like the last screening of The Shining. Um, but they're starting to ramp up the Evil Dead screenings, and those will be taking place throughout October. Uh, I know that in the next week or so, various Alamo drafts ho- draft houses around the U.S. are going to start showing those as well. Um, and guys, if you're interested in checking it out, because not really... They don't really ever show the original Evil Dead. If you haven't seen it, this might be a good viewing experience. Right on. Yeah, I wish I had the time to be able to go and see those. I'm not going to be able to see those. I'm really disappointed, though, about The Shining. I would like to be able to see The Shining in its full 4K glory. Um I think if I could have anybody besides you to go and see evil dead with i would actually want to go and um i know this sounds weird i'd want to go with my mom we have long shared a love of brucey that's that's how he's known in my family (laughs) and so we would we would totally go and do that it would be fantastic like what started that love of brucey well honestly it was army of darkness uh, which we ended up seeing way back in the day. And I had not been properly introduced to the Evil Dead series. And at the end of the day, you really can watch Evil, uh, you really can watch Army of Darkness without having seen the previous two movies. Um, there's, I mean, you do miss out on tons of Easter eggs, but you can enjoy the movie on its own. And that's kind of how we fell in love with it. But, just to go back and watch cheap college horror, even my mom, surprisingly, was into it only because of Bruce Campbell. So, um, yeah, so it'd be really cool. I would totally take her to go see that. We would dig it. But alas and alack, it is not meant to be. I think it would be a horrible experience if I took my mom to go see Evil Dead. <laughs> she would have so many questions. <laughs> not the least of which is... <laughs> Why is why is this poor woman being raped by a tree? So. <laughs> anyway, so I believe we promised some news this week, did we not, sir? Yes, we did. Then here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> Well, I've got one very quick piece of news for us here from DarkHorizons.com by way of Garth Franklin. Daniel Craig raps No Time to Die shoot. Yes, folks, Mr. Franklin writes, While Daniel Craig's filming on Spectre may not have been a pleasant experience, it seems his fifth and final outing as James Bond has been an enjoyable one. The Daily Mail reports that Daniel Craig and the cast and crew of No Time to Die recently celebrated the end of filming at a restaurant in Matera with a party that got a bit uh, a bit sloshy. The actor addressed the group with a sincere speech thanking everyone and video of his speech next to a giant 007 cake has been released on the website. In the clip he says, quote, 
I just want to say, and I really am quite drunk now, so I won't go on for long, this has been one of the best, most wonderful experiences I've ever had. You have all done the most amazing job. I could not be more proud to work with every single one of you on this production. I would like to thank you for this evening, for Barbara, for putting it on. Thank goodness we did this tonight, end quote. Um, so, even though it originally seemed to be like, stalled and injury plagued and weather plagued apparently the shoot did uh correct itself from there and um we'll see what all happens with this new and i guess final daniel craig outing and tim oh yes and of course there's still a little bit more to that article if you would like to read it again darkhorizons.com by way of garth franklin daniel craig raps no time did i shoot um you don't seem too thrilled. You don't seem too jazzed about this news, Tim. I am just not too jazzed with Daniel Craig as James Bond. Nor am I like any more or overall I, or ever. Well, I thought I like Skyfall quite a bit, and I felt let down by Spectre. I'd rather be ple- like not really looking forward to No Time to Die and be pleasantly surprised than wasting time talking about like me personally just thinking about it, doing a lot of research into it and then seeing it and realizing you know it's another sanitized version of it because I'm not sanitized because I guess Spectre wasn't a sanitized version because it's definitely risque and everything we know and love about James Bond all that all those elements are in there but just the action sucked and the pacing sucked you know where Skyfall was more dapper and suave and just fun and this new movie I I just don't I'm curious to know which direction they're wanting to take the film because Spectre was more of the Roger Moore, you know, feeling of James mm-hmm. Bond movies. So are they going to keep going down that path? Are they going to go back to Skyfall where it had more of a classic feel and vibe to it? Or are they going to turn around and pull another Casino Royale slash Quantum of Solace and be more, not necessarily indie, but Real life, I, I suppose. I kind of have a feeling that Daniel Craig was just kind of done after Skyfall and didn't want to do Spectre. And I kind of think that most people were also thinking that Spectre was kind of it. And so they were all just kind of like, ah, screw it. We'll just kind of throw it to the wall and see what sticks. And I think it shows. I don't think it was a great movie either. I know that um, where we have ebbed and flowed throughout Daniel Craig's tenure... We definitely agreed on Spectre. And so, I, like you, I'm, I mean, I'm at least interested. I, I don't know that I have any hopes either way, but I, I can honestly say I'm at least interested to see what they've done. So, that, you know, and, and now we know with this bit of news, we're just one step closer. That's all. So. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I love James Bond. I will see any any and every James Bond movie uh, to an extent. But I, I just hope that after watching this new one, I don't go back to how I felt with Spectre. You know, two James Bond movies, and we easily could have had at least somebody else come in and play James Bond for both of these movies. 
really didn't need to have Daniel Craig again, because I thought it was pretty clear that he just didn't want to do the job anymore. I mean, during the making of Skyfall, I remember him saying that he was just getting too old to play James Bond. So, you know, we could have easily had Idris Elba, Tom Hiddleston. I know he was interested in playing James Bond for a while. First up for me, via Deadline.com, Spider-Man back in action as Sony agrees to Disney Ko-Fi for new movie, Return to MCU, How Spidey's Web Got Untangled, written by Anthony D'Alessandro, and it was published on September 27th, and I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Sony has agreed to the terms that Disney originally proposed for its participation in a third Spider-Man movie, whereby Disney Marvel would co-finance 25% of a third homecoming movie for a 25% equity stake. The deal also calls for Spider-Man appearing in one more Disney Marvel movie. This is also a big win for Sony here in continuing a series that will likely give it another $1 billion plus grossing film, along with an 8% distribution fee or higher. Additionally, the deal keeps intact the creative steering of Disney's Marvel Studios head, Kevin Feige, who led two of the best and most profitable fan-pleasing picks in the Spidey film canon to $2 billion worldwide. The third film is scheduled for release on June 16th, 2021. Amy Pascal will also produce through Pascal Pictures, as she has on the first two Holland-led films. Uh, Disney and Sony mended fences last night in a signed agreement. No matter what nasty background dealings there were as this deal came together in the last few months, it's the fans who won today as the extension of the Web Slinger into the Avengers movies in Captain America Civil War, and Feige's creative fingerprints on the last two Spideys have altogether amassed close to $8 billion for those five movies. Deadline also had a sense that there was a possibility that Sony and Marvel would come together on this. Disney already owns merchandising rights on Spider-Man over the last decade, and uh, the article does go on for quite a bit more. Again, that was via Deadline.com. Spider-Man back in action as Sony agrees to Disney Ko-Fi for new movie, Return to MCU, How Spidey's Web Got Untangled. Matt, what do you think about this? I know when we were first talking about this a few weeks back, I originally said that this was not going to last that long. I mean, whether it was going to be a month, a couple months, a year, eventually things were going to work out. I mean, not for nothing. The more they can... It, it It is truly a symbiotic relationship. I mean, it, it's more like Venom than it is Spider-Man. Because with Sony having the access to, I guess you could say, the Spider-Verse, if you will, they've got a solid stable of people that they can continually tie loosely to the MCU through Spider-Man without ever having to touch Disney. But... The more they play nice with Disney, the easier it is for them to have amazing stories that will connect to the MCU through Spider-Man that will keep funneling people to watch the other movies for Sony. So, and of course, the longer that Sony strings Disney along, the more Disney is going to keep trying to take or grasp at those other 
Spider-Verse characters to officially get them in the MCU. And then it gets harder and harder. So it's, I don't want to necessarily, necessarily say it's the financial equivalent of tying two drunks together to see if they walk in a straight line. But this is a pretty, is a pretty narrow line to walk for both of these players. And I think that honestly, as long as they can both see the green at the end of the tunnel, they'll, they'll, they'll keep working on it out. I mean, they might have little tips here and there, but they'll keep working it out. Green as in the money? Yeah, normally it's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I figured the green at the end of the tunnel, you know? That works quite nicely. I like what you did there. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I I mean, again, it was destined to work out. Uh, Sony has a lot to benefit with Disney being on board. Marvel fans, comic book fans... uh, there are a lot of, I mean, it's just been very interesting seeing people react to this news. In other good news, for the upcoming Venom movie, Spider-Man's supposed to at least make an appearance in some form or fashion, so that's exciting. And I think there's always the possibility that Tom Hardy, I mean, I, I guess officially, it makes him a part of the MCU, which I guess is kind of cool. Him and Woody Harrelson. All right, so my second piece of news via SlashFilm.com, Warner Brothers issues Joker's statement. The film is not in, quote, an endorsement of real-world violence of any kind, end quote. This here was posted on Tuesday, September 24th, and the article was written by Ben Pearson. It says this, Todd Phillips' Golden Lion-winning film has earned a fair share of hand-wringing about its depiction of the villain's origin story, leading many to express concerns about whether it goes too far in sympathizing with its protagonist, and if it could potentially even incite viewers to perpetrate violence. Now, Warner Brothers has issued a statement defending the movie, saying that it is not, quote, an endorsement of real-world violence of any kind, end quote, and it is, quote, not the intention, end quote, of anyone involved with the movie to, quote, hold this character up as a hero, end quote. Earlier this morning, some friends and family members of the Aurora Theater Massacre victims sent an open letter to Warner Brothers, explaining how it gave them pause when they learned about Phillips' approach to his lead character in this movie. But instead of demanding the film be pulled or organizing a boycott, they asked the studio to support gun reform in the U.S., Warner Brothers had apparently not received the letter by the time the press picked up on it, but the studio has now had time to look it over and issue an official response. So via deadline, this is Warner Brothers' response. Quote, Gun violence in our society is a critical issue, and we extend our deepest sympathy to all victims and families impacted by these tragedies. Our company has a long history of donating to victims of violence, including Aurora, and in recent weeks, our parent company joined other business leaders to call on policymakers to enact bipartisan legislation to address this epidemic. At the same time, Warner Brothers believes that one of the functions of storytelling is to provoke difficult conversations around complex issues. Make no mistake, neither the fictional character Joker nor the film 
is an endorsement of real-world violence of any kind. It is not the intention of the film, the filmmakers, or the studio to hold this character up as a hero. And all quotes there, the article does go on for a bit more. Again, that was via Slash Film. Warner Brothers issues Joker statement. The film is not, quote, an endorsement of real-world violence of any kind, end quote. Matt, do you think Warner Brothers and or... I guess the movie Joker itself is an endorsement of real world violence. Wait, based on the trailer that only Wait, all these people I, have seen? I still don't believe it. I think Warner Brothers needs to come out with yet another statement denouncing it because I don't believe that one. I think it's a misdirection to tell us that it really is supporting gun violence. Of course, I mean, it. If it was a documentary. I could see that maybe you might need to come out saying something like that because it might have been misconstrued somehow. Or when you bought the, when you bought the distribution rights, you know, you didn't make it. It's, you know, I could see it if it was something in the real world. What do you mean by a documentary? Already? Like if, if the movie in question was a documentary that somehow came, uh, came out as, supporting a controversial stance on gun violence or the second amendment or guns or what have you. Um, or I, I could see at that point that Warner brothers would need to be like, Hey, this is what we feel you know, something like that something grounded in reality. This is a Joker movie out of the DC comic universe. In what world would anybody take it seriously and say that that's what this is trying to say? You, you wouldn't, if you were trying to, even if you were trying to make that kind of subtext or that kind of content or comment through the media or through, or through the medium of your art, which would be film, I don't think it would be useful to try and do so with a Joker movie. It's, it's, it's tantamount to blaming video games for violence which they've been trying to do for 25 years to no avail. I just think it's stupid. I, I think it's stupid. To see it from the other side, I mean, I disagree with... I mean, I disagree with what these people are saying. It's entertainment. Natural born killers, that's entertainment. It's not telling people to go out and cause violence and kill people. Absolutely. Um, Agree. Now, I think what a lot of people are seeing with this movie is that it's not a Batman film. It takes place in Gotham, yes. It has no connection to any other Batman movie, uh, especially the current timeline. It's been heavily reported that the movie is about uh, mental issues and the slippings of mental states and what can be caused by a, a failed healthcare system. So I think when people start, they, they latch onto things like that because that type of storytelling and character development is very human and is very, quote unquote, real world. And I think a lot of people are just not comfortable with that stuff, regardless of how stylized it is. I mean, very much like Natural Born Killers. That is a very stylized film to where I think when people see something that's more mainstream looking and stylized, they misconstrue that as a weird endorsement, like saying, hey, because this movie in some way is very entertaining, killing somebody is just as entertaining, you know? 
that's my argument against these people with Joker. The movie is focusing on character. There's character depth. <laughs> and it is touching on cultural issues within the healthcare system and in some form or fashion. I don't know. I've never seen the movie. I'm going off what I've read, interviews and the trailers. And it does have a visual appeal that makes the whole world that it's creating that much more enticing to explore from a movie watching standpoint, of course. I understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, I, I think the can, the entire context is irrelevant. And that's why I just think it's a waste of time for Warner Brothers to come out and say something like this. I think it's, I just think it's a given. And I, I think it, it just screams that this is not grounded in reality. And even with the subtext of an art form or trying to say and make statements through art, it's just not the case here. So, eh, you know. But I guess they feel like they had to. They feel like they had to. You think it, Lars von Trier would receive a lot of criticism from people if, like, his movies were more mainstream? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we're talking about a guy. Didn't he, like, inadvertently say something pro-Hitler at his last movie? <laughs> Oh, it was a couple movies ago. It's been a few. Yeah. It's been a little while. But yeah, he was talking okay. about uh, oh, shit. Was it not? It wasn't white supremacy. But yeah, he was talking about uh, the Nazis and how he felt they got some things right, <laughs> and he was kind yeah, of adamant I, about it. I mean, it. it's just one of those things. I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I, I don't know. But there and again. He is using his art to say something, and it's not always what you're seeing on the screen. Um, and while you and I have always gone back and forth and whether or not it's as effective as he means it to be, um, I don't think that, I, I think if, in, I guess in point of fact, if Lars von Trier was making more, air quotes, mainstream movies, I don't think he would have that kind of drawback because I think he would he would simply put what he wanted to put in the mainstream movie and then you would clearly know what it was. Uh, if it was satire, if it was farce, if it was some other kind of political statement that was being dropped into the film. So... That's all. And that's the news. All right. Well, next week, we're not having a bonus segment because we've got some classic Universal stuff we want to get into, and those will be the movies for next week. So, why don't we get into the movies for this week? By saying, it's... <laughs> I thought my mic was <laughs> muted. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well... This week's movies. <laughs> uh, this week's movies, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> That's right. This week's movies are Taunton Abbey and Ad Astra. 
So, we were going to originally do Judy. And unfortunately for you listening, especially if you were interested, neither one of us were able to get out to see Judy. The weekend got away from us, and now here we are getting into the week, and, well, we're just not going to be able to do it. Hopefully we'll be able to review it later on, and we will especially make a point to do so should it come around Oscar season, I presume. Maybe, because we were kind of miffed at the Oscars this last year. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Where do you want to start, Tim? You want to start on the high note or the low note? Oh, yeah. Let's start high with Downton. No maid, no valet, no nanny even. It's 1927. We're modern folk. The king and queen are coming to Downton. What? I want every surface to gleam and sparkle. A royal luncheon, a parade, and a dinner. I'm going to have to sit down. How's it all going? Mary's got it under control. Hardly. I need your help, Carson. I'll be there in the morning, my lady. Don't you worry. Should we really go on with it? You mean leave Downton? Downton Abbey's the heart of this community, and you're keeping it beating. Remember to pray for us. I'll put in a word. Your Majesties, welcome to Downton Abbey. Will you have enough cliches to get you through the visit? If not, I'll come to you. Oh, here we go. All right, so we got a 2019 British historical period drama. This one, of course, is again uh, still written by Julian Fellows, who was the creator and uh, lead writer for the television series of the same name. Uh, the film itself, though, is directed by Michael Engler and uh, basically stars the principal cast. So, you know, Hugh Bonneville, Jim Carter, uh, Michelle Dockery, Elizabeth McGovern, Maggie Smith, Imelda Staunton, Penelope Wilton, uh, amongst the rest of the cast. Now... We're picking up, it's 1927, which I want to say is about four-ish years after the end of the series, uh, which coincidentally works out because it's been about three and a half years since the end of the series as far as, you know, when it was aired. Um, most of... Um, most of everything that has happened has been going on, and actually, I take that back. I'm looking this up right now approximately two years after the TV series ends. There you go. So, uh, the, the big, the big central plot point, if you will, is that the king and queen are going on a tour of the outer country of, uh, of England. And so they have decided to grace Downton Abbey with an overnight visit. This, of course, is coming at a time when the way of the world is changing greatly and it's going to put a huge strain on not just the family, but on the house itself to host such regal and magnificent guests. And from there, shenanigans ensue based on the previous aspects of everything. So, um... (sighs) 
you know, Carson has to come out of retirement. Um, the Bateses are still there and they're, of course, you know, still as much in love as ever. Uh, Barrow, he is the head butler now, but then he kind of gets pissed because, um, uh, they're not sure if he can handle it. And of course, you've got the, the royal staff is trying to run roughshod and then everybody's like, Maybe people are trying to have families and people are trying to move on and poor, you know, Branson is in his own thing. And so they very much, you know, much like an episode of the show, it's just now they've done it for two hours instead of 45 minutes. And quite frankly... I think this is how they need to do Downton Abbey from now on. They, they, not, not for nothing, they've left it open for a sequel. Uh, even though this is very tightly wound up. I mean, there's no loose, there's no loose ends. They, they have done what they can do to, um, give the show its proper due. But at the same time, have, have them come back. And I, and I think this was great. And here's why. If you're not a fan of the series, I think you would at least say, Eh, this is probably a pretty okay, pretty decent movie. I think you would give it in the realm of two and a half to a three, based on never having seen anything before and just kind of looking at your standard, you know, light on story British period drama. But you're not talking or you're not listening to people who have never seen the series. You're listening to reviews from people who have seen the series. And here's the thing. By having a nice, wide, open space with which to work, you can really start to explore all of the characters in ways you hadn't been able to before. Because the series had to focus on one central drama afflicting the house, you never got to spend any great deal of time having fun with this house. And sure, there were lighthearted moments. Sure, at the end of a series, at the end of a series, um, they might have something good or some nice things would come of it. But there was never anything that you could really have people come together on. And they do put some stuff in there that kind of, um, you know, bolster a little bit of tension. But the thing is, is that because it's still based at its core in TV, all of these things that build tension and add to the story and kind of give it the drama are so heavily telegraphed and so, so entirely predictable. But it doesn't matter because these are the characters you come in, you've just come to know and love and you want to see what happens to them you want to experience this ride with them again you want to be able to watch them grow even if it's just a little bit you want to see them be able to come together for one last time um or one more time as is the case with the bulk of the cast so i think that completely telegraphed and predictable plot points aside, also with um, a little bit leaning too heavy on the CGI exterior cinema cinematography shots, um, this movie is just amazing. 
and I give it a 4.5 out of 5. Honestly, if it hadn't been so heavily telegraphed in the writing and predictable, I would have given it a 5. Um, everything you know and love about this series is here in spades, and that is what this movie is meant to do. 4.5 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim? I, of course, loved it. I saw it a couple weeks ago, and I am looking forward to seeing it again. Uh, Matt, I did want to ask you, were there any crying people at your viewing? Uh, it could have been you. It definitely could have been you. And also, were there any of these storylines that didn't grab you that you could have done without? Okay, so the only one, uh, nobody cried in the theater. Uh, everybody laughed heartily at every appropriate point. Um, especially when, um, oh. Mosley? No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, that was absolutely hilarious. But no, when, um, when, when Lady Crawley and, uh, Lady Merton, um, basically Penelope, uh, Wilton and Maggie Smith, virtually every time they would bicker, would cause laughter in the audience. I mean, this was an audience that was comprised of people who loved the show. And you could tell, because everybody laughed at all the right parts. And yes, I mean, Mosley in front of the king and queen. I mean, even me, I mean, the whole audience went, I mean, you know, it was, it was perfect. I'm literally leaning in my seat, covering my face and the whole nine yards because I'm like, Oh my God, I I can't believe it. I don't know. And of course it's Mosley. Of course it's Mosley who's going to do something like that. And you know that he's going to, but you just didn't realize it was going to be that bad, right? Um, so yeah, but the only thing that was really kind of, I guess the thing that irritated me, and it, honestly, it led to, it, it tipped it to 4.5, was the assassination plot. That was just completely unnecessary. Right. And that happens like at the halfway mark also. It's like a two-parter, like an episode, like a two-parter episode where something has to happen and then with that same character, once that's resolved, then something else happens in the next episode, the follow-up episode. And that's what I felt with Branson. He foiled the assassination attempt, and then there's the potential love story. And it's like, uh, I mean, there that felt like filler to me. And what was kind of annoying is that what was actually even worse than that were... Uh, a couple of the storylines involving the servants. Um, but the worst one was Daisy. Daisy, I do not like her character. Uh, I can definitely deal with her character, but I'm just not a big fan of her character. And I couldn't care less about her little arc. She she doesn't even really have an arc. She doesn't have that many redeemable qualities. She's just kind of frustrating, I suppose. Um, but other than that, I absolutely love the film. I loved the story. I love the reasoning, you know, to bring all these people back together. The film would not have been the same if we didn't have Mr. Carson as head butler. Um, and the movie itself is very much an extension of the TV series. It doesn't venture too far into theatrics. Yes, we have probably one too many swooping shots of 
Downton Abbey itself, you know, but, you know, we don't, there's not that many, like, grandiosities, you know, like, they don't go to a race, you know, or they don't go into London, like, everything takes place in this town for the most part, and at the Abbey, so I, I, I loved how they kept the show tight, you know, they didn't have to do, like, a road trip, or going on an adventure somewhere, like you see in a lot of other movies. You know, they kept to what people loved about the show. And it's it, it's it's the, the people loved not only just the characters, but it being a period drama. And it just revels in everything with absolute delight. Um, and I, I love the movie. And I would have loved the movie so much that I would have given it a five if it wasn't for some of the minor storylines that didn't pan out as well. Um, I laughed. I didn't cry. I heard some people crying. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of vocal responding to the movie from everybody in the theater. It was just a, an enjoyable experience. Probably one of the most enjoyable experience I've had at the movie theater this year, outside of seeing The Matrix, uh, 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 The Matrix and Apocalypse Now, you know, their re-releases in Dolby, uh, or uh, in Dolby and IMAX. So, guys, if you haven't seen it already, we didn't really spoil anything. If you're familiar with the show you're going to miss out. It's definitely worth throwing some cash at it. It's a great two hours at the theater. Um, and I was just also surprised how it hit all the right notes as well. I guess the only constructive criticism that I can give to the movie is that within this two hour long, uh, is that it felt it still felt kind of episodic with the Branson storyline, for example, that it didn't need to do that. I don't know if they were wanting to break up the film for some reason. Um, but yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. So I, too, give this one a 4.5 out of 5 as well. Yay! Yay, Downton Abbey. All right, so then I guess let's... <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Let me do this. All right. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and talk about Ad Astra. <sighs> Astra. What are you thinking about? I do what I do because of my dad. He was a hero. He gave his life for the pursuit of knowledge. It's crazy out there. There's fires everywhere and plane crashes. They're calling it the search. Major, we have some highly classified information. What can you tell us about the Lima project? Its objective was to search for advanced extraterrestrial life. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And the commander was? He was my father, sir. This might come as quite a shock to you. Your father was experimenting with a highly classified material that could threaten our entire solar system. All life would be destroyed. We're counting on you to find out what's happening out there. I worry about you. 
I love you. Please begin your psychological evaluation. As best you can, please describe your current mental and emotional state. I'm feeling good, ready to do my job to the best of my abilities. I remain fully committed to the lawful completion of the mission. If necessary, I will destroy the project in its entirety. The Earth put its hopes in him. And now, it's fate. It's on me. We have a job to do. Are you ready? I'm ready. Ad Astra is a 2019 American science fiction adventure film. It was produced, co-written, directed by James Gray. Movie stars Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, Ruth Negga, Liv Tyler, and Donald Sutherland. But really, it just stars Brad Pitt. Did I pass my psychological profile, Tim? This is a movie that teaches us the importance of two things. Score in a movie and cinematography in a movie. Because you can wrap, you can have a slow-moving story. And I want to say, I mean, let me, I need to look at this. Is this based at all on a book? It does not seem to say that it was. Like Heart of Darkness? Yeah, I don't know. No, I just, honestly, I was just checking to see if this was uh, based on a book. It seemed to me like this was being pulled from a book. Um, so let's talk about The Revenant for a, for a minute. If you think back to The Revenant, there was there's not a ton of dialogue in The Revenant. But what you lack in dialogue is more than made up for in the cinematography. And then you also are being supported as well by the score. Here you have a similarly sparse story driven by the narrative of a son looking for his father. Who's never truly gotten over his father abandoning him, albeit in the name of you know, progress and space and sacrifice. Um, the thing is, is that there's only so much you can do with space because space by its very nature is empty. And while yes, again, you're trying to make all these artistic connections to emptiness and soul searching and everything, you've got to have something to connect with while it's on the screen. And there's nothing, there's nothing there. There's literally nothing there. And because they're blending the score, they're blending the sound design with the truest aspect of space, which is that there is no sound, you're often left with waiting for the visuals to catch up. And even when you do have striking sci-fi um, space visuals, there's not enough there to draw your eye and keep you vested into it, other than to point out again the vastness, desolate nature of space, which, if you want to make those connections to soul-searching and loneliness and everything, fine. But not in a two-hour movie. You just cannot do that. When the whole point of this guy is that he's an emotionless shell, fine. 
you don't but you don't need to sit there and do that and what really makes me mad is that the movie tries to have Brad Pitt's character grow and change but instead of it growing and changing it just sounds stupid and petulant they're using me god damn it i mean i literally laughed i literally laughed at the at the utterance of that line in that movie because it's so completely out of place not just for the character but for the movie it defeats the purpose of what the of what the struggle is going on in this guy and i get they're trying to you know have everything burst out of this guy but it doesn't work and because the movie is trying to operate on a slow burn you've got to have something to do that and they and it's not like they don't try they have little bursts of action here and there you know space mandrills anyone but it just none of it comes together and instead it is just boring oh my god boring and it's not that i don't believe that brad pitt is incapable of carrying a movie this character is incapable of carrying a movie and it shows um not to mention the crux of the movie rests on his search and i mean i'll leave it to you to decide whether or not the the search was fruitful or not but there was just no emotional attachment for you as the audience member, especially for going through this, uh, air quotes, epic journey. I did not like this movie. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, but I do not like it. I would not recommend watching it, especially if you've just come off of watching Downton Abbey and you're doing it as a double feature late on a Sunday night. Two stars. What do you got there, Tim? Bring us home. Oh my god, you saw this directly after seeing Downton Abbey? Last night. What? Went in at like 7.30 or something for the 7.30 Downton Abbey and then turned around for the 9.45 at Astra. Now, how would you have liked Downton Abbey if you saw it after Ad Astra? I don't think there would have been a way to stop me from giving Downton Abbey six stars. If I had seen Ad Astra first. <laughs> but Matt, the rating, no, it was that good. It was that good. Um, no, I, I mean, seriously, I would have been so bored. Anything would have been, um, would have been amazingly better. So I guess I'm glad I saw it because not only did I see the better movie first, which is, I mean, a bummer in terms of I ended it on a, you know, downer, but I was in a good mood. Uh, I was happy. I had, you know, had a great experience. So my mind was clear and I got to go right into this movie ready to go. And I was fresh. And within 30 minutes of the movie, I'm kind of getting tired about an hour in. I'm literally debating getting out. I, I was literally debating for the last hour of the movie walking out, but it didn't the movie doesn't deserve that so i stuck it out till the end people so. really love ad astra like and i don't know why um well i think because it touches on uh like brad pitt's character's trying to find his father he's been neglected by his dad and he's just trying to find closure and and you know hope of appealing to one's father 
And I get it. Uh, I didn't have the greatest relationship with my father growing up. We have a better relationship now. And a lot of people are, I don't know, like, attaching themselves to this movie because they understand the father struggles that Brad Pitt is going through. I, on a surface level, I get it. And I think it makes for an interesting movie, but an interesting movie at Astra is not. I love a good slow burn, methodical sci-fi flick like 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, Solaris, the Russian Solaris, uh, which we we reviewed a few years ago. But the most important factor to really pull off a good slow burn, methodical film, whether it be a drama, a slow burn adventure film like The Lost City of Z, you have to care about not only what the hell is going on, you have to care about the character. And... I really liked the world that James Gray created. And, you know, I said The Lost City of Z. That's a James Gray movie. (laughs) And I think that also annoyed me because I went in loving, I love, love Lost City of Z. And that's a two-hour, 20-minute slow burn adventure film. And then he does a two-hour space sci-fi special effects film. And it feels like a five-hour long movie. Uh, But anyways, um, it's important to have a storyline that you care about and a a character that you care about. And I liked with that Astra, they created this world where, yes, space travel is a thing. We've colonized uh, Mars. We've colonized the moon. But guess what? We're still fighting wars and we're having battles. There are still pirates, you know, from other countries on the moon and settled in, uh, uh, on Mars, you know. So that kind of gives us this really weird bleak hope that, you know, we band together to succeed in space travel. But then once we succeed and once we do that, I mean, all the garbage and baggage we have here on Earth, we're just going to take it to the next planet. You know, so I really liked uh, that aspect of this film because it really put Brad Pitt in a, in a very interesting scenario or multiple scenarios. And I thought that was very neat to see him kind of go through and deal with all of those, all of those things. And, uh, you know, the idea of there being moon pirates uh, was pretty interesting, but moon pirates belong in a fun, (laughs) a more fun, uh, sci-fi movie and i think this movie could have had a little bit more fun with itself and not taking itself too seriously and it would have been a more entertaining film instead we have a father-son relationship that yes we might be able to identify with but just because there's that surface layer of something that an audience member can identify with again doesn't make it something that is it doesn't automatically make it profound you know it has to have good writing it has to ha- make sense it has to be good st- storytelling uh but most importantly the audience has to be completely invested into what is going on 
I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a movie where I checked my watch so often. And I saw this film in IMAX. People, the, it was a packed showing at the Century City AMC IMAX. A lot of people of various shapes and sizes, colors, <laughs> uh, backgrounds were there. And a big chunk of the audience were like making, com- like older people even, were making comments, you know, after something was whispered. <laughs> something, uh, you know, uh, after something that Zach, uh, Zach Efron, Jesus Christ, after something that Brad Pitt had whispered, you know. So. It's a frustrating film, and I wanted it to be something different. But at least some people appreciate it. Uh, Lost City of Z was beautifully shot. It was a thought-provoking film. And it is, hands down, the better of the two James Gray slow burn films. Uh, So I, too, give Ad Astra a 2 and it is a two because I appreciated it. Um, and if you have seen this movie, I guarantee that you probably forgot that Liv Tyler was in the movie for some reason. Um, I bet she was ticked off when she found out that they cut out all of her lines in the film. Two out of five for me. Fair enough. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the movies for this week. Next week, we're kicking off... Uh our halloween month in earnest so we will be having our invisible man features now these are the classic universal invisible man flicks so we're going to be doing 1933's the invisible man uh 1940's the invisible man returns and 1940's the invisible woman and without that without further ado i guess it's time for the spiel is it not sir spiel on You set them up and I'll knock them back, Lloyd. One by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. Say, Lloyd, it seems I'm temporarily light. (laughs) How's my credit in this joint, anyway? Your credit's fine, Mr. Torrance. That's swell. I like you, Lloyd. I always liked you. You were always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Thank you for saying so. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can find them at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitwit12345. And, of course, come aboard the Mission Station or Highway and Tracked on 2 on Twitter, if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old Spotify and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to Patreon.com and check us out there. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Elizabeth McGovern, I get to say this. The way it works in Hollywood is that you're hot. Is that if you're hot, it doesn't matter if you're right for the part or not. You're just offered it. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. 
Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>